0: Well, more trouble at the Blaine Hotel in Midtown Manhattan, where three kidnappers have been holding a hostage for some 20 hours now. For an on-the-spot report, let's go live to Lorraine Newman at the Blaine Hotel. Lorraine?
1: Chevy, I'm standing outside a room on the 18th floor of the Blaine Hotel, where a group of terrorists calling themselves, strangely enough, simply blowfish. are holding several hostages. Inexplicably, they have insisted that famed television game show announcer Don Pardo read off their list of ransom demands on national television. Oh, the door to the room appears to be opening. Tell us what they want, Don Pardo.
0: Lorraine, the kidnappers want to be transported on one of Gotham choppers, quiet and comfortable executive helicopters to Kennedy Airport, Gotham for the lift of the lifetime, and while at Kennedy, they'll receive three complete sets of Trav King airmate, carry all luggage, Lorraine. Hi, this is Alan Whitebell, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, welcoming you back to TV Confidential Radio, talk show about television. It is not every day that you get a chance to speak to one of the original Not Ready for Prime Time players on NBC's Saturday Night, so that makes today a very, very good day as we welcome Ms. Lorraine Newman. Besides breaking ground every week on SNL, Lorraine bore witness to the changing music scene in the 1960s, the rise of stand-up comedy in L.A. in the early 1970s. She studied mime in Paris under Marcel Marceau and was a founding member of the groundbreaking improv comedy troupe The Groundlings all before she was 23 years old. It was a very heady experience. Because as SNL skyrocketed her to fame on the outside, Lorraine struggled with demons on the inside, including an addiction to drugs that, coupled with some issues of self-doubt and some bouts with depression, uh, led to an all-consuming addiction that nearly destroyed her five years after she left Saturday Night Live. Lorraine talks about that very candidly with great perspective and an unyielding sense of humor in a new audio memoir, May You Live in Interesting Times, which is now available through Audible. She also tells us how she found meaning in life for the first time when she became a mom and how in many ways she really hit her stride as a performer for the very first time when she became a voice artist. Lorraine Newman, welcome to TV Confidential. Thank you so
1: much, and ignore that phone ringing in the background.
0: I didn't hear it, which means my listeners didn't hear it as well. Okay.
1: Good. (laughs) Good. Thank you for that intro.
0: This is not only one of the most entertaining memoirs I've ever read. It is certainly the most entertaining book about addiction that I've ever read. Well, we all
1: know how funny that is.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, but the fact that you went through some stuff and yet you came out of it on the other side with your sense of humor intact and your perspective intact and are able to talk about what happened but also share the wisdom you've learned along the way it's and doing it in the way that you've done it in, in audio form it really personalizes the experience for your listeners
1: I hope so um, I do love doing voice work and I love the idea of bringing these stories to life audibly Hence, being on audible <laughs> um, so that was really a pleasure for me and uh, I had a great director and Audible was terrific, and I had a wonderful editor, Paul Slansky, who I had known since SNL because he edited an article I had written for Esquire. So he helped me take this mountain of material that I had and organize it, fact check it, tell me things like, you don't need that, you know, and... uh, helped me shape it into the narrative that it became.
0: Yeah, and it's and, and what what's unique about the narrative, folks, is that in a lot of ways, it, it is your life story in every way, Lorraine, but in a lot of ways, it's like a series of monologues told by a character, a character that happens to be you.
1: Yeah, and I also noticed that there was a through line of these kind of pop culture events that took place within the last, 50 years, and I had the privilege of being either front row or a part of instigating it. And that was not really clear to me until I wrote the book.
0: Yeah, well, a common thread among the many uh, guests who visited our program is a lot of times, I mean, when you work as steadily as you did, Lorraine, mm-hmm. you know, from your early 20s uh, through today. You don't think, oh, God, I'm breaking, I'm, I'm breaking ground or, oh, God, I'm a cultural icon. You're working. And it's, so when I ask you what do you remember about the wild and crazy guy sketch, I mean, maybe you'll remember, but it's, it's like asking you what you, you had for lunch 45 years ago. It's just, but, it's, but How
1: right you are, and thank you for knowing that. <laughs>
0: but, at, but at the same time, when you do step back and look at your life, it's pretty cool to to, to uh, I, At least I would imagine it's pretty cool for you to realize all the various people whose lives you cross paths with one way or another, and how you and they left an imprint on on our culture.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, again, it's it's. I know so many people in my business and in all walks of life, really. Not knowing how they might impact my life and even my children's lives later on because both my kids are doing this kind of work and they have had people that I've become friends with over the years champion them along the way.
0: And that's a wonderful feeling. Lorraine Newman is on the line with us. Lorraine's new audio memoir, May You Live in Interesting Times, available right now through audible.com. Audible.com forward slash Lorraine Newman. You can follow Lorraine on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as LorraineNewman.com. One of the other things I love about May You Live in Interesting Times, Lorraine, is that throughout each Chapter of the book, whether you're talking about SNL or whether you're talking about your years, you know, before SNL and with the groundlings or, or the last uh, few decades, throughout the book, you slip in and out of the various voices that you've created, you know, yes. over the years. Yeah,
1: something that embarrasses my children no end.
0: Well, it may embarrass them, but it delights us. When did you first realize that you have an arsenal of voices in you?
1: Really? From the time I was very little, um, I have a twin brother who actually was even an even better mimic than I am. And so, you know, I saw the laughs he was getting, and I wanted a piece of that. And then it went on from just, you know, I think everybody starts out imitating things that they see on TV or in movies. I was a big horror fan, so I did like a Boris Karloff impression <laughs> and a Bela Lugosi impression because all my relatives talked like that, you know. And it it just kind of went from there. I had really, uh, I was fascinated by dialects, and I was fascinated by the people that had them. And I noticed very kind of specific things about the way they moved, about the way they held themselves, and it just became kind of a compendium that I had access to.
0: And that sharp ear for dialect has, has never left you. You have a wonderful story about uh, one of the first times you met Don Pardo backstage, and you detected
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, what a great guy. Yeah, and I, I could hear a Massachusetts accent in his speech. I think he actually said, ca, said car. <laughs> You know, And I said, are you from Massachusetts? And he, you know, was like, looked down, like, yeah, you know. And I realized that, especially if you become an announcer, the first thing you do is try to get rid of a regional accent. But I thought it was so charming.
0: Where do you start when you create a voice? And has that process changed? Is, Is that process different today than it was when you first started as a performer?
1: Yes, because uh, mainly now I'm creating new voices with animation and I have a prompt, which is either a drawing or a character description. And then I have all these choices of directions that I can go in. You know, a lot of times you like to go against type and do something that's unexpected because it's more memorable in the audition. So you get a hippopotamus and you do Marilyn Monroe's voice (laughs) for the hippo and things like that, and um, during the course of that, I think I played um, a Neanderthal woman in Dawn of the Croods, and that was a character that was not in the movie, and so I thought, gee, who who should she sound like? And it came to me that it was kind of like Patrick Warburton, (laughs) but it's kind of arrogance, but not too smart at the same time. So, and you know, that's kind of how it it happened. It's very quick with animation because that's all the time you have is, is to really look at something and then go.
0: Is it a case sometimes where the director may give you some idea, but say, okay, this is, this is what we're looking for. But if you have other ideas, Lorraine, feel free to do a take two or take three.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what happens. And for that particular character, they were saying, you know, we want to want her to kind of sound like Jane Lynch. And I didn't think that was quite right, because Jane sounds intelligent. <laughs> and <laughs> part of Neanderthal. So, you know, although I've learned lately that Neanderthals were actually not as dumb as they've been depicted to be. So,
0: yeah, shame on me. <laughs> shame on you, but uh, we're very glad that Lorraine Newman is on the line with us. Lorraine Newman, one of the original... Not ready for primetime players from Saturday Night Live and the first member of Saturday Night Live to leave her mark in the movies, including roles in American Hot Wax and Stardust Memories, Lorraine's new audio memoir, May You Live in Interesting Times, not only takes you backstage of the first five years of Saturday Night Live, but gives you a glimpse of the people behind the people of Saturday Night Live, including the writers, musicians, producers, guest stars, and, of course, her fellow cast members. May You Live in Interesting Times by Lorraine Newman, available now as an audiobook through audible.com, audible.com forward slash Lorraine Newman. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. I I love the image of the hippopotamus who speaks like, Marilyn Monroe, because the hippopotamus doesn't know, necessarily know what what she looks like. I mean, she's a hippopotamus, and so if of
1: course, yeah. none of us know what we look like.
0: So you thank know, God. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. You know, you're you're you look great. Thank
1: you. <laughs> thank you. It's a good thing you're not seeing me from the neck. neck but, you know, I've I've endeavored to keep this, this everything from the neck up as cute as possible. Uh, it's been my life's work, and uh, it's you know one of these days I've noticed after every birthday my my body or my face goes i okay, I've done enough i I need to rest, just give me a break I, I gotta relax now, and uh, something kind of falls so.
0: Well, but at the same time, you clearly take care of your voice because that has been your second act in many respects. Yeah. And, and one of the cool things that I learn and that you'll learn, folks, when you listen to May You Live in Interesting Times, Lorraine's memoir, is that off mic you're a very, very shy person. And so in a way, voiceover, voice acting work is, is, is like a great outlet for you. It's perfect because
1: I'm not being observed. And, um, for instance, you know, there's nothing more, like, icky to me than seeing a grown person do a child's voice. So, I do my four-year-old self in the book. But you're not seeing me do it. So it's not grotesque. You know, but actually seeing someone do that, I think is kind of weird. So, it's perfect for me to not be observed.
0: You mentioned that you do your four-year-old self early in the book when you're talking about your first television experience on the art (laughs) link letter Beginning
1: of my brilliant career.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you talk about a device that I was not familiar with. I've read a lot of memoirs. I've helped write a a couple of memoirs. But you, uh, there's a device called Aid Memoir.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Can you tell listeners how that works?
1: Um, I'd have to refer to the manuscript because I don't remember the actual description of it, but I think it's something like leaving out adjectives and adverbs and having it in the present tense, and it's an incredible device to spur memory, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it also helps you to write a document that's very vivid and in the moment and real, and that was something my, my writing teacher, Claudette Sutherland, taught me. And it's really how I got the details, how I was able to remember the details of that time when I was four years old on kids say the darndest things.
0: Yeah, it's, it's Go on today. if I hear you correctly, in in a way, it's it's stripping down the stuff that can get in the way of, of writing down a memory and focus on the essential things so that you can focus on the, you know, the experience and what you learned from it and recalling all the stuff that you really want to talk about.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly it. You strip away the, the fat and the embellishment, and it's just the facts, ma'am, you know?
0: It is just the facts, ma'am, and Lorraine Newman lays out not all the facts, but a lot of the facts are for life, in and may you live in interesting times available right now as an audiobook book through audible.com. Calm. Another device that you talk about in your memoir, Lorraine, is a storytelling device called the Herald. And if I understand it correctly, it has to do with taking elements of other monologues and making them your own. Am I off base? Or?
1: Yeah, the, the times that I've done it, and believe me, this has been like such a scary thing for me. I remember going to do it at Improv Olympics, and it was an offshoot of Second City and it was in Hollywood, and they were explaining how it was done backstage. And I said, it's easy, you, know, you understand, right? And I was like, n- n- no, I still could do just again, and they do it again. I didn't quite understand it, but basically you come out, you do a monologue, and then the performers take elements of that monologue, and they do an improv using some of the elements that they have chosen, which becomes a t- an entirely different story, and it's, it's wonderful.
0: It is wonderful, and as as we said, Lorraine's audio memoir, in many respects, is a series of monologues that uh, she shares as she recounts the details of her life before, during, and after Saturday Night Live. May you live in interesting times, available at audible.com. About 10 years ago, I took a seminar on voice acting, and I learned two things. One, I'm not good at it, and... Uh
1: Oh,
0: no, <laughs> but too, and here, here, this is the really important thing, and it touches on something you talk about when you uh, when you talk about your work with Charlie Adler. One of the things that makes voice acting hard is that it is very physical. You've got to be in good condition and be prepared to reach down deep if your director says, "Okay, can you do a little lower diaphragm for me, Lorraine?" Yes,
1: yeah. yeah, it's uh, it is a mechanical technique in a lot of ways. I remember uh, doing a show. I've done several shows with Billy West, who you may know is the voice of Brandon Stimpy mm-hmm. and, I mean, Futurama mm-hmm. and lots and lots of shows. Mm-hmm. And he was describing the fact that the vocal cords are just these little flaps of flesh. That's all they are. But all of these voices can come out of it. And I thought that was such an incredible way to to describe this this art form and how just this little kind of flap of flesh allows you to go from, you know, a voice very like this, down to a very low voice like that, and everything in between.
0: And as you go up or down to create whatever voice you know you need to create in the moment for the project you're doing, you're not only pulling on those vocal cords, so to speak, but you're also drawing on whatever uh, memory you have or whatever experience you have as, as a performer to help build the character behind that voice, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, that's the joy of it, is that if you do it enough times that certain skill sets become natural, And um, it's almost like your body remembers how to do it, even if your brain doesn't. And those are really wonderful times. I've had, you know, situations where I've had incredibly difficult dialogue to memorize. And I would memorize it so much that it was in my body. And that even if my mind went blank, I still had it.
0: Mm-hmm. Our guest this hour is Lorraine Newman. Lorraine Newman, one of the original not-ready-for-prime-time players of NBC Saturday Night Live. We'll talk some more with Lorraine when we continue our conversation here on TV Confidential. One more item. If you love Ella Fitzgerald, our friend Jeffrey Mark celebrates the music of the First Lady of Song every week on Jeffrey Mark Plays Ella. You can hear Jeffrey Mark.